Before we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus this morning, I ask that you pray with me. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time of study that we can worship and we can focus upon you and that we thank you right now for Christ, that he came and he lived a holy and righteous life and then he died for us, those who have sinned and have lived in unrighteous ways, that he has saved us. Father, we thank you for that grace and mercy. We ask you to bless us upon our minds and our hearts now that the gospel, the message that we look at will continue to change us. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We look at the subject of Christ crucified. The power and the wisdom of God, the scriptures say. And I cannot go through. This week I was going through and I cannot go through and read these passages. And they affect me the way, and even stronger, than I remember the first day that I believed. And, and you know, as a, as a child, when I started thinking about Jesus died for me, he did that for me. He died on the cross for me, and I thought about those things, and they affected me then. And I'm thinking, He gave my life for me. I'm going to give my life for Him. I want to be fully committed to Him. And I remember feeling that love then, and even now, this week, just reading through Mark uh, 15. I was reading through a number of the gospel accounts and thinking about um, what Christ endured and why He did what He did. And it still is very, very convicting. And, it, and it's never changed. And I think we see this. And this is a blessing. Blessed are those who see that, you know, this world needs a Savior. Everybody's got their own moral code. They want to tweak what they think is right and wrong, come up with their own thinking, go along with whatever part of the society they want to accept. But even then, when they, when they have their own beliefs on those things, uh, they can't keep their own morals. They'll say, yes, I believe that lying is wrong, and yet they will all say they've been guilty of lying. They'll say, I think it's wrong to cheat. I think it is you know, wrong to do these things, to hate others, and yet they'll find themselves doing those very things. We see it. We see that there's a need for a Savior. And I think we also see the great blessing that comes from recognizing that there was an ultimate sacrifice, that there needs to be an ultimate sacrifice for us. And we see that in Christ. So I hope to encourage you this morning, if you have your Bible, this is going to be part of our reading. We're going to go right over to Mark chapter 15 and look at verses 22 through 29. Mark chapter 15, 22 to 29. We're going to read that. We're going to make some observations about it, and then we'll get a little bit further into our study and, and thinking about what we're seeing here in Christ's crucifixion. So Mark chapter 15, let's begin in verse 22. And we read this, And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. That would be a narcotic. So they were offering this to Jesus. But he did not take it. They crucified him. Divided his garments among them. Casting lots for them to decide what each should take. That was from the... You, you hear these prophecies like what Logan read for us this morning from Psalm 22, written a thousand years before Jesus, prophesying and predicting this event that we're reading about here. And so as we're reading here, we continue to see, look at verse 25, and it was the third hour when they crucified Him. And the inscription of the charge against Him read, the King of the Jews. That was what was placed above His head. And with Him they crucified two robbers, one on His right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, 
You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And so also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, but he cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also reviled him. So you hear the mockery there. You can see the sin surrounding Jesus as he's been crucified and he's hanging upon the cross. You can picture these things. You can see what it's like. And these things also are part of what we read and what was read this morning from Psalm 22 that they enclosed around him. They had pierced his hands and his feet and they were mocking him and Christ hung there on our behalf. This is no mere tragedy or accident. It wasn't a man standing up for what was right and these things came upon him and, and Jesus had nothing to say about it. He had no way to resist it. No, He did it of His own free will. Let's keep reading here. Verse 33 in Mark 15. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, He's calling Elijah. Notice this. Some of them are still looking. They're still waiting. Something, they're waiting for something else to happen. There's this darkness over this. There's something going on in this event. This is a crucifixion, an execution unlike any other. And it says here in verse 36, And some ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether... Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Can you imagine being there? Can you imagine being in those crowds and multitudes and seeing this event? Hope that you try. Hope that you think about that. But the very that statement there, when you when you're reading this and you're you're trying to picture it and understand it, and the centurion who's standing there, that centurion might have done many, many other crucifixions. He's seen executions before. He's seen death. But when Christ dies on the cross, when Jesus dies on the cross, He says, truly, this was the Son of God. The disposition at the very beginning, the mocking, the have Him crucified, the calls for it, them surrounding Him and slandering Jesus and reviling Him and cursing Him on the cross, it appears to change because in the other Gospels, it says that the people go away beating their chest over this. They're convicted by it. Something has happened here. Something wrong. Great sin, but something else was accomplished. So I was reading through it, there are things that stood out to me that I think we need to look at. Jesus didn't dull his senses. He knew what he was doing. He could have. He could have taken that myrrh. He could have taken the narcotic. He could have made it easier on himself and in his death. He doesn't do that. Many of us, when we're in pain, like some of us might have been last night, we, we want, we're eager to take something. We want to dull that pain. 
I woke up this morning and both of my feet were killing me. I took my ibuprofen. Jesus, and that's just a little thing, and here Jesus is suffering and he doesn't dull his senses. He doesn't do anything like that. He knows what he's doing. As you start reading and you, the things that stood out to me in the details that Mark gives us, all of these things are echoing prophecies written hundreds of years before Jesus. And that's not many, merely a Jewish and Christian claim to say that these prophecies existed centuries before Jesus. It is not a mere claim because we have facts behind it. We have Dead Sea Scrolls, we have the Greek Septuagint, we have other ancient texts predating Jesus by hundreds of years. Again, confirming these writings exist and we can read Psalm 22 and we can read these depictions. They gambled for His garments. They pierced His hands and His feet. They mocked Him on the cross. That Jesus would die there in Isaiah 53 as the suffering servant and He did it on our behalf for a reason to bring about peace to bear our sins and our iniquities. The charge against Jesus is very clear. That They say that He's worthy of death. He's defying Rome because He claims to be the Messiah. Well, that means He is a king. And recently we've been going through the book of Hebrews and reading the prophecies in Psalm 110 of the coming priest and king, the, the priest who's according to the order of Melchizedek, who is also king. And here Jesus comes. Remember, just <clears throat> a few days before this, He rode into Jerusalem on the donkey. And they worshipped Him and cried Hosanna and revered Him as King. And that's what they held against Him. That's why He was crucified. That's what Pontius Pilate put upon uh, over Jesus' head. As I think about that, the historicity behind it, there is one critical scholar, he's no believer, and he, his name is John Dominic Crossan. He said, if Jesus was not crucified with crucified by Pontius Pilate, if we don't know that, there's no other fact in ancient history that we can know because the evidence, the historical evidence behind that is too abundant. We're talking about a factual event here. We're not talking about things that people simply think of or grand stories that push us on and, and want to and give us courage. It's much more than that. And we see this Jesus surrounded by those in rebellion and cruelty. We see the sin, the mocking and reviling from those who were mocking who He claimed to be, the Son of God. Many gathered there to see what great thing would happen. They wanted to see something more. Something was happening. This man who had done great miracles and had taught great teachings. And then in the last, you, you have to have a Roman. It's always somebody who's on who's not really in that circle of society. It should have been the Jews. It should have been all of them at that point. And a number of the Jews, of course, were believing. But you would have think their leaders would have come to the fact and, and said, yes, we study the Bible all the time. This must be the Christ. They don't do that. It, it takes the centurion right there who might not have been around Jesus that much, but when he sees the death of Christ, he says, truly, this is the Son of God. How does that message affect you? What would you have thought about Jesus? If you were there to see this, what would your conviction? Maybe you, were, you didn't know what to think about him. You've heard great stories about him. You've heard some of his teachings. Things have passed around. News about him. You've heard about his miracles. And the first time you're able to lay eyes on him is when he's being taken out to the cross to be crucified. And to see that, how would it affect you? What would you think about it? I encourage you this morning that Jesus' death was not a mere tragedy. It was not an accident that Jesus 
chose to do this. But I hear that. I hear critical scholars. I hear common people say, well, he was courageous. He set an example for us. And that's not all that Jesus did when he died on the cross. It wasn't about him just living a righteous and holy life and dying there. It was much more than that. There's more than the death of a great teacher. If you want the death of a great teacher, you can look at people like Socrates, who was judged for his wise you know, teaching and leading the youth astray and was sentenced to death. Jesus' death was much more than that. Jesus repeatedly predicted his suffering and death. We see that throughout the Gospel of Mark. Let's look at Mark 8, verse 31 to 32. And you can look at a number of other passages that got up there. He repeats it. Mark chapter 9, Mark 10, and some other Gospels as well. And he began to teach them. This is what Jesus was teaching his disciples. That the Son of Man must suffer many things. And many of the Jews didn't like that idea. They knew the prophecies that the Messiah would live forever. And he's teaching him must suffer many things. In fact, when you read this in an account that we come across on one occasion, Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Don't say that. Don't say you're going to suffer. But Jesus says the Son of Man's going to suffer many things. He's going to be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Now, how can that be? How can the leaders, the ones who know the book, who know the Bible, who know the, the religious le leaders, who are the teachers, how could they do that? And then Jesus says, and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. He said it plainly. But as we read, the disciples didn't fully understand this. And there's reasons for that. I'm not going to get into all that this morning. But look at this. That Jesus knew and he, he's told them that his death was not going to be a mere tragedy. And we need to understand what the meaning of the crucifixion was. What was accomplished at the cross. This is what the Bible tells us. That Jesus died to present repentant, baptized believers as holy and blameless and without reproach. Jesus died to take away our sins. He bore our sins upon the cross. Those, that rebellion, the evil, the things that we've done in our life, He took on our behalf. The death that was owed to us, He bore upon our body. He brought about peace. And we can get into more in-depth in study of that another day on atonement and that peace that Christ brought. But that is what was accomplished. See, Jesus died to justify and save people from God's just wrath. He made us in His image and He gave us commands and He told us to love. And when we do contrary to that, when we sin, the Scriptures say the wages of sin is death. Christ took that upon Himself. We see this, Jesus died as the righteous for the unrighteous. That's Peter making reference to Isaiah 53. And he said that Jesus did this to bring people to God. And you see that in the crucifixion in, in, Gospel, in Mark's account. That centurion is being brought to God when he says this truly is the Son of God. Jesus suffered and died to sympathize and help humanity with temptation. The Bible tells us that. It's not simply that God is so transcendent and arbitrarily giving us laws and rules. No, He loves us and He cares for us. He, he knows what it's like to come and to suffer and to live life here. To go through the heartache and the tragedy that we have to endure. To go through the temptations that we have to face. Jesus was tempted in every way and yet He remained without sin and He's able to sympathize, to help us, to forgive us. And then I love this passage there in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16 where John says, by this we know love. Because Jesus died for us. See, there is much more accomplished by Jesus' death on the cross. It was no mere accident. Jesus said this as he was telling his disciples in the night that he was betrayed. 
the night before he would be crucified. He proclaimed greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I love that. I like the description there. The word friends in the Bible is actually the noun firm form of the word phileo. Meaning those that you love, your beloved ones. Greater love is no one than this than to lay down his life. We know that's true. And Christ laid down his life for us. There's no greater example of love. And it should affect us and change us. It shouldn't be something that we think, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe Jesus died on the cross. But he was a great example for us, and then we move on with life. The message of the cross is the power and the wisdom of God that continues to change us. Jesus was emphatic that he laid down his life of his own accord. One of my favorite scriptures. I love reading this passage over and over again. And it tells you the gospel in Jesus' words. In John chapter 10, 17 to 18, as he's teaching, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus did this. He intentionally did this. He laid down his life of his own accord. He says, I have no authority. I says, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This mission I was given. This is no accident. And the prophecies continue to stand out. And to add to the one that we read um, at the very beginning from Psalm 22, I want you to think about Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. What it says about God's plan. God planned this. Written centuries before Jesus would come. It says, surely He, that suffering servant, would come and He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. This is the Messiah who's to come. This is Isaiah chapter 9. There's a child who's born. His name will be Almighty God. That's the child who would come. It says, yet we esteem Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to His own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Amen. That's what Christ accomplished on the cross. For us that believe this morning... We stand as Christians. Jesus' crucifixion is the power and the wisdom of God. While the world wants signs, always claiming more evidence, there's more than enough evidence. Looking and, and calling for more wisdom, Jesus' crucifixion, Him crucified, is the power and the wisdom of God. On the night of Jesus' betrayal, he instituted a new memorial. And I thought it good this morning as we're thinking about Jesus' crucifixion to think about what we think about every first day of the week. In the churches of Christ, we do what we find in the Scriptures. We partake of the Lord's Supper, communion, every first day of the week. We believe in doing this because this is what we see the, script, the, the Christians doing in the Bible. There's no small event. And it's never lost meaning. I've heard some people say, well, if we take it every three months or two or three times a year, maybe to have more meaning. I've found it to be quite the opposite. I miss a Sunday because I'm sick. I'm missing the fact that I didn't get to partake of the Lord's Supper. It means a great thing to me. And every week I take it, it means so much more. 
because it refocuses my mind and my heart on the first day of the week. This is not the weekend. This is the first day of the week. The day in which Christ rose from the dead. So we read here in Mark 14, and we read that Jesus, when they were eating, they were taking the Passover that night. It was at the Passover, that our Passover, Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 5, he is our Passover lamb. He died at the Passover and resurrected the Passover. It says he took bread, and after blessing it, he gave it to them. And he said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank it. And he said to them, this is my blood and the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. What do you think about during the Lord's Supper? It's been a while that I've been doing this, but many times when I'm partaking of communion on Sunday morning, I like to look down at my hands. I like to think about the event and the things that, that Christ endured. And so as I look down at my hands, I think about what Jesus being in the garden and that they would have bound his hands. They would have led him away. And I go through this, there's usually seven or eight things I think about, and I look at my hands, and I think about them bringing him to the court of Caiaphas and mocking him and the guards along with the chief priests and scribes. I look at my hands, the ones that would have beat him, that would have slapped him. It's the second thing I think about. The third thing I think about is I look at my hands and I think what would have been like for those who would have borne the scourges, the whips that would have gone across the back of Christ. I think about that. I've mentioned before, many men didn't even endure that and live through it. I look at my hands and I think about those soldiers that would have taken the reed, number four, would have beaten the crown of thorns into Jesus' head and mocked him as the king. I think about Jesus' hands and them bearing his cross as far as he could until Simon of Cyrene would have been chosen to do it. Number five. Number six, I think about the nails that would have pierced through his hands and his feet. He would have been on the cross for six hours and suffering on my behalf. That's what I think about. I look at my hands and I think about the guard, who, the soldier who had been given the order to pierce Jesus' side with the spear when water and blood would come out. That's the seventh thing I think about. And eighthly, I think about the hands of Joseph of Arimathea taking Jesus' body down from the cross and wrapping him up and placing his body in the tomb. And I thank God because the Lord's Supper is a thanksgiving meal. And he did that for me. I hope that when we partake of the Lord's Supper that it's no small thing. And this morning when we see that Christ suffered these things it's not without hope, it's not without joy, it's not without a basis of courage and a sense of forgiveness and thanksgiving to God that Jesus did those things for me I know, I now know love on a deeper level than anybody else. Um, that is, as Christians, that we know it on a level greater than the world. So I encourage you this morning, how do you value what Jesus did? How do you respond to Jesus' suffering and death? Yeah, it's a big, it's, a, it's the ultimate thing 
is the greatest thing for us to be thinking about is the suffering of Christ. We have all those prophecies that have encouraged us, that have predicted this, that have been fulfilled, and we see Jesus is the Christ, the King of the Jews. And as the centurion said at the cross, truly this is the Son of God. I hope the, that uh, the crucifixion affects you and encourages you, helps you to live a holy life committed to Him. This morning, I'm not going to offer the invitation. I'm going to leave you this, with this verse. And then I'll ask Brother Garland to say a few words. Galatians 2 and verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I believe that's the response we should have to the crucifixion of Christ. And that it doesn't just end with him on the cross or with the tomb. There's so much more.